0: I believe with all my heart that the Bible from cover to cover is teaching about choice and the consequences of the choices that we make. In the beginning in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve a choice. A choice for life, a choice for death. They chose death. The people of Israel were given a choice to stay in Egypt, in the land of slavery, or to go to the promised land and experience freedom. Elijah, the great prophet of God, stood up at the time of compromise, at the time when the people of God were living for themselves, caring for themselves, and gave not a hoot for God. And he challenged them saying, Choose ye this day whom you shall worship, God or Baal. You can't worship both. And for the past 2,000 years, the whole of world history has been built upon a choice. Either you choose Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross and the consequences of which living with him in heaven for eternity or deny him, ignore him or out and out reject him and then spend your eternity, that means forever and ever in hell and damnation and suffering. Listen to me very carefully please. God does not send anybody to hell. People choose to go there. And yet today, in this environment of sentimentality and soft-headedness, we don't want to face these two choices. A large number of people think that they can live like the devil all week and then become angels on Sunday. A large number of our society somehow think that we can live any which way we can, live for ourselves, think of ourselves, feed ourselves, Ignore God, and somehow when we die, we're going to make it to heaven. That's an utter fallacy. It is not biblical. You know, what's going on in America today reminds me of the story of this Sunday school teacher who was teaching a small group of boys of the story that Jesus tells about Lazarus and the rich man. Most of you are familiar with it. He told the boys about how this man lived for himself, cared nothing for anybody else, cared nothing for God. And then there was Lazarus, who was God-centered, who feared God. And they both died. And one, the man who lived the self-centered life, ended up in hell. He ended up in torment, crying out. And Lazarus ended up in heaven, in the bosom of Abraham. And then at the end of his lesson, he paused. And he said, now boys, which one would you rather be? The rich man or Lazarus? Well, the little fellow raised his hand and he said, I would rather be the rich man while I'm living and Lazarus when I die. (laughs) But isn't that exactly what modern churchianity has been telling us that we can do? Which is totally contrary to biblical teaching. I want you to turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 6. And you're going to see there how Jesus makes the question of choice so plain and so clear. You can't miss it. In fact, there are four choices. Listen to them very carefully. Mark them in your Bible. In verses 19 to 21 of Matthew 6, Jesus gives us a choice between two investment institutions, heaven or earth. In verses 22 and 23, there is a choice between vision and blindness. It's your choice. Thirdly, verse 24, Jesus gives us a choice between two masters, mammon or God. And fourthly, Verses 25 to 34, there is a choice regarding where your ambition is centered. Now, I believe with all my heart as I reflected upon this passage afresh, that this topic confronts our generation with a fresh urgency. It confronts our generation with an utter new expediency. As our morality keeps on sliding... As our ethics keep on getting muddier, as our commitments keep on weakening, as our absolutes become blurred, as our loves become more and more selfish, as our relationships become more tenuous, as our thankfulness become more of a lip service, I believe that we face these challenges today, and therefore our generation need to be confronted by these choices that Jesus gives us in this passage in a fresh way. Because for every choice you make, there is a consequence. Listen carefully to number one, the first choice. The investment of your money. Now, if I tell you I know about an investment instrument that is more safe than a T-bill, that will give you more dividends than all the mutual funds that existed today, now, that's going to pique your interest, right? On the other hand, i tell you about another investment instrument, but uh, it is based on a a junk bond scheme that is run by a bunch of crooks, and really you have no assurance that you ever get your capital back. (laughs) Now you would say, preach the first one, brother, preach the first one, Right? Now I want you to hear me right and hear me very carefully because this passage has been misunderstood through the years. Jesus is not saying that there's anything wrong with making money. Jesus is not saying there's anything wrong with owning property. He is not saying there's any wrong with saving for the future. Jesus is saying there's nothing wrong with buying insurance policy. I know some people have problem with that. In fact, in Matthew 25, 22, Jesus commends good business practices. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, 7, and 8, it commends the ant. Not your ant, but the insect. It commends the ant. It presented to us as a model for a good worker who prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. In the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, 8 The Bible tells us that those who do not provide for their family are worse than infidels. And the Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonians that those who are able to work and refuse to work should not eat. I believe with all my heart that ought to be hanging on the wall of the welfare department. So the question is, which investment firm are you choosing to put your money in? The choice that Jesus gives us is very clear. He said, the earthly investment firm of hoarding it, of selfishly spend it on myself, is treacherous. He is telling me that the earthly investment firm is risky. That the earthly investment firm is unsafe. That the earthly investment firm will lead you to a trap, is going to lead you to a snare. You notice he said that where your treasure is, there is your heart also. I know there's some people who twist that and say, where your heart is, there is your treasure. I said, where did he get that from? That's not what Jesus said. He didn't say that at all. Please hear me right. Jesus is not talking about sensitive and wise financial planning. He's not talking about that. He is talking about the miser, who's forever hoarding and hoarding and accumulating and more and more and more and never satisfied, never contented. Only to spend it on themselves. Only to accumulate it so their ego be inflated about their net worth. That's what Jesus is talking about. Some time ago I heard about the man who said that misers are not fun to live with. But they make great ancestors. (laughs) And how true it is. But I want to tell you, even if you manage to keep your money from being lost, you're going to die And you're going to leave it behind. And your ancestors are going to come along and blow it away. (laughs) But when you make your major deposits in the heavenly investment firm, saying, Jesus, both your capital and your interest are going to be waiting for you on the other side of eternity. Let me stop right here. Because I know some of you are already thinking. I can read your minds. As saying, is Michael preaching salvation by works? Is he saying you're saved by how much money you give? Stop it. That is not what the Bible teaches. You are not saved by how much money you give, how many hours you volunteer, how many good works you accomplish. That is not the way to salvation. The gospel is the gospel of grace, pure grace, pure and simple. And if you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to me, I want to tell you something. If you are not born again, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have not committed your life to Him, I want to tell you a couple of things. Listen carefully. God wants you before he wants what's yours. God wants to save your soul before he wants your money. And Jesus here speaking to his disciples, they're already saved. They already know Jesus. They already have a relationship with him. And he's saying to them, what a believer does for the kingdom of God will have everlasting dividends. Please hear me right. I am all for good education. I strive to the highest level. I am all for good music and good art. I am all for good health and nutrition. I'm trying hard. But listen. (laughs) These are all wonderful things. But I want to tell you the very crux of this passage is so clear. Only what is done for Jesus Christ and his kingdom will be awaiting you on the other side of eternity. Secondly... Jesus gives us a choice of vision. Verse 22 and 23. A choice between light and darkness. A choice between blindness and sight. What Jesus is saying that hoarding up treasures for yourself, hoarding up treasures for your selfish uses, plunges you into darkness. That's what it does. On the other hand, investing in the kingdom of God, will give you a vision for life, is going to give you a purpose for life, is going to invigorate you to understand what life is all about. If you have physical vision, you can look and you can see where you're going. And it works the same way spiritually. When your spiritual vision is in the right perspective, when your spiritual vision is properly adjusted, then your life is filled with purpose and drive. But if your vision becomes clouded, if it is becomes clouded by false gods, if it becomes clouded with false values and the world's values, then you will not have a clue what life is all about, even if you think you do. You really don't. Covetousness and greed are sure ingredients to blind you to what is really important in life. Think about it. Laying up treasures in heaven not only has eternal durability, Jesus is saying, but it will also give you a vision for this life. It will give you a vision on the earth as long as you're alive. And then thirdly, verse 24, Jesus said that we have a choice between two masters. You know that God made us to be owned by somebody else? This is the way He made us. I don't care how much you try to get around it. This is the way He made us. I know in this country, because of the pain of slavery in the past, preachers tend to skirt around this biblically sound truth. But I wasn't born then and I wasn't here, so I don't have to worry about that. I'm not going to skirt around this biblical truth. Because the Bible is so clear, by nature we have two masters. Either Satan or God. Mammon is Satan's hook to bring you under his Leadership. You know, I have to really smile sometimes when somebody says to me, you know, I'm the master of my destiny. I'm the captain of my ship. I said, well, wait a minute, Baba, because I want to tell you something. (laughs) You have a master, you just haven't met him yet. (laughs) And what they're telling me is that old Nick has got them by the throat. And they just don't know it. Please hear me clearly. I want to tell you with great pride and with great joy... I want to declare to you in the world that I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm proud of my master. Amen. Bless the Lord. None of us can serve two masters, said Jesus. He said, behind your choice of an investment firm, that is behind your choice of a vision and purpose for life, there is a basic choice, and the choice is between two masters, no third. There is no third. It's a choice between God or mammon, which is Satan's hook. Mammon is just an Aramaic word that really means hoarded wealth. It's a choice between the creator and the creation. And Jesus is saying, you cannot be on both sides of the issue. <laughs> I love it when people say, well, you know, on this hand, on the other hand. You know, constantly walking on to the right and to the left. Who would agree that this was very painful? To walk to the right and the left at the same time. Someone said you can work for two employers, but no slave can be the property of two owners. Listen please. Single ownership, singleness of service, full-time service is the essence of Slavery. And anyone who says that they have divided allegiance between God and Mammon has already given his or her allegiance to Mammon. Because God is the kind of master who wants exclusive devotion. God is the kind of master who wants total allegiance. God is the kind of master who wants full attention. Listen to what he said I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will give my glory to no other. So you think if you can share him, With someone else and share your loyalty to him with anything else. This is nothing short of idolatry. I want you to look at the choices for what they are. Look at them in the script. Look at the Bible. It's a choice between creator and creature. It's a choice between glorious personal God and a green piece of paper which you call money. It is a choice between worship and idolatry. That's the choice that we have. Surely there is no contest. So it's not only a choice of durability. It is not only a choice of intrinsic benefit. It is also a choice of an intrinsic worth. That brings me to the fourth point. Verses 25 all the way to 34. I was going to preach from that verse, 24 to 34. And I kept looking at that word. Look at it in your Bible. Verse 25, therefore, therefore. I said, I've been teaching people all over the world. When you see the word therefore, find out why it is therefore. But I was going to make the mistake in preaching this passage out of context. Because what you have here is a pyramid. It's a step. One step lead to the other. One step lead to the other. And you come at the pinnacle right here in verses 25 all the way to 34. Mark it in your Bible. And Jesus said there is a choice between two set of ambitions. But He couldn't tell them, don't worry about what you eat and what you drink out of the blue. He had to tell them all of this and then come to this. In the sense, He's saying only when you comprehend the choice between what is durable and what is fleeting, only when you comprehend the choice between blindness and vision, only when you comprehend the choice between two masters, God and mammon, only then will you be able to live a worry, anxiety-free life. In the sense, what Jesus is saying is that when you are unable to say, I choose to put my investments in the heavenly bank. When you're able to say, I choose an enlightened vision, therefore, you can say, I live a worry-free life. Why? Because of my basic choice of what master I intended to serve, my attitude, my ambition in life, is going to follow. At this point of life, Once you've done all the three choices, the first three choices, you are not anxious about money. Why are you not anxious about money? Why are you not anxious about the future of your children? Why are you not anxious about these things? I'll tell you why. Here's what Jesus said because you have already rejected money as master. Because you have already made a decision, you're going to be the master of money, the money's not going to master you. Because you have already made God to be your master, therefore, What concerns him concerns you. What breaks his heart breaks your heart. What is his purpose for your life becomes the purpose for your life. What is his will for you becomes your will for you. Please hear me right. Jesus here is assuming that all human beings are seekers. That all human beings are ambitious. How many of you agree that a person who drifts through life aimlessly is not natural? We are made for something. We are made to seek after something. We are made to set our hearts and our minds after something. We are made to be ambitious. Ambition is not a dirty word. It's a beautiful word. It's a neutral word. You can have godly ambitions and you can have ungodly ambitions. You can have selfish ambitions, but you can have unselfish ambitions. And a person's ambition is what motivates him. It's what motivates her for life. I know a number of Christian men and women who are motivated by personal financial success. Now, I know this is hackling some of you, so let me finish the sentence. (laughs) So that they may give it all away to the work of the kingdom, and they do. I'm privileged to know people like that. That is godly ambition. Cecil B. Day, the founder of Day's Inn, felt the holy call from God to make money. And when he died in 1978 every red cent of his portion of his estate went to kingdom work. John Wesley made a lot of money publishing his sermons and made a lot of money. His day was a huge amounts of money. But you know what? People criticize him but when he died, were only equivalent of $28 in his account because he gave it all away. John Wesley says make all you can, give all you can, save all you can. And what Jesus is saying here actually simplifies and reduces all the possible life goals into two. Listen carefully, I'm getting close. <laughs> He's telling his followers that if you have chosen the heavenly bank, that if you have chosen vision over blindness, that if you have chosen God for your master, then you don't have a reason in the world to worry. That's what therefore is therefore. That you don't have to worry or be anxious about the needs of life. Why? Because God has already made provision for them. <laughs> He's already taken care of them. Before you even were born, He has taken care of them. You know, today you pick up a magazine anywhere, on a plane, On you just pick any magazine and you see every page, every page has to do something with the body, you know. Feeding the body, clothing the body, not feeding the body, cooling the body, heating the body, relaxing the body, entertaining the body, tantalizing the body. I mean, every page you turn in, is something about the body. I mean, no wonder we're screwed up. (laughs) And somehow what Jesus is saying is so alien to us, it's so strange, when it ought to be for believers the real thing. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying I don't believe for a moment that Jesus is denying or despising the need of the body. He made the body. He cares for the body. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying here is this. Hear me right. He's saying, don't become obsessed. Don't get engrossed with your material needs. Don't let your material needs become your preoccupation. Here's what Dr. Robert Elliott said. He said there are two rules about controlling worry in your life. I'm sure all of you are ready to hear those. He said, I want to control that. I'm a worry wart. Most people don't say that. They say, my spouse is a worry (laughs) wart. Rule number one, don't sweat the small stuff. Rule number two, it's all small stuff. (laughs) In fact, I heard about the exasperated husband who's exasperated with his wife about her worry. And he said, why are you always worrying? It doesn't do any good anyway. (laughs) She piped up and she said, oh, yes, it does. 90% of the things I worry about never happen. (laughs) <laughs> Some studies have broken down worries as follows. Listen carefully, please. 40% of all the worry never happens. 30% are things about, that, that happened in the past that you can't correct or change. 12% are needless worry about health. 10% are pity miscellaneous worries. 8% are real legitimate worry in the light of what Jesus is saying here, because you have chosen your heavenly bank, because you have chosen God's vision to be your vision, because you have chosen God to be your master, therefore, you shouldn't even worry about those 8%. Why? Because worry is the sin of distrusting God's promise of provision. Did you hear that? In fact, the word worry comes from the German word, which means to strangle or to choke. And that's exactly what worry does. It's a kind of mental and emotional strangulation which probably causes more mental and physical affliction than any other cause that I see in my ministry. The substance of worry, nearly always extremely small compared with the size it forms in our minds to say nothing of the damage that it causes to our lives. Worry is the opposite of contentment. And contentment ought to be the state of the mind of the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have placed their treasures in heaven. Those who have chosen God for their master. Those who have been enlightened by God's vision. You know, when you realize that God owns everything, God controls everything, and God provides everything, you'll experience contentment. And you know what you need to do is to remind yourself of that constantly. Jesus, in effect, is saying that really, when you give in to worry, when you give in to anxiety, you have forgotten who your daddy is. I want to conclude by telling you a story. Because I really believe that ultimately it all boils down to a choice. A choice. Being prepared for the consequences of our choices. Story of a wise man who constantly giving people good advice, wise advice. Answers to difficult questions in life and one day a young, arrogant man sought to stomp the old sage and he put a bird between his hands and covered it up, and he walked up to the wise old man and he said to him, Sir, is the bird in my hand alive or dead? His plan of deception, of course, was very simple. If the wise senior said it was dead, he will open his hands and the bird will fly will be alive. But if he said it was alive, he would give a quick squeeze to his hand and kill the bird and said it's dead. Surprisingly though, the old man never looked at the younger man's hand. He looked into his eyes and quickly said to him, he said, my son, the bird is whatever you wish it to be. And it's so with every one of us today. The life we live is the one we wish to live it. We choose to live it. God's way or some other way. The choice is in our hands. Is it hoarding and accumulation and therefore worry and anxiety? Or is it open-handedness and investing in God's kingdom, therefore peace and contentment? Oh, precious Heavenly Father, we bless you and we thank you. We glorify you. We honor you. We are so privileged to know the living God and we can call you Daddy, and we know that you're listening to us and hearing our prayers and answering them. Father, I lift up to you, my brothers and sisters, that you will release them today from worry. you release them from anxiety. Father, I pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, they walk out of here, free men and women, glorifying you, honoring you, putting their trust in you, having your vision, and making you the master. In Jesus' name I pray.